Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to, to Los Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We have Javon Ford here. He needs no introduction. Sarah and I literally just talked about how we love following him to debunk all of the crap on the internet. There's a lot of crap, especially when it comes to beauty. So much. So we have Javon to thank for really getting through all of it. And in such a matter-of-fact way, there's no pomp and circumstance. There's no flashiness. It is just, you are wrong, and here's why. I was dying laughing, Javon, because I'm obviously going through your page to you know see what you've been talking about lately. And this kid called Nestle... How did he pronounce that? Nestel. <laughs> Nestel. A kid was trying to say that water, I can't even remember what that kid said. Something that water has chemicals in it and it's killing us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bottled water has added chemicals in it. Yeah. And he can't even pronounce it. Yeah. He was like, Nestel, it's not just water. It's like all these chemicals. And Javon's basically like dragging him to filth, like in the most calm, nice way. He's like, you didn't even pronounce Nestle correctly, so I don't know if I even, like, why should we listen to, to you at all? It was pretty brilliant. But anyways, Javon, welcome to Los Angeles. We are so happy you're here. Thank you. So, Javon, we want to know what's on your face. What are you loving right now? I think a lot of people really care about what you like to use because it's kind of like getting a gold star if you use a certain product. So what are you loving right now? Okay, so for skincare, I love Stradia's Liquid Gold. I've been using that every day for the past year. Also, Laneige's, I think it's called like the Milky Toner. I forgot the actual name of the toner. Mm -hmm. It's like a milky looking toner. Really good. Also, I've been trying out Tower 28's. Um, it's the spray that uses like, not bleach, hypochlorous acid. This one? Yep, that. I've been trying that out to see if it actually makes a difference. I need to do an experiment to see if it makes a difference. But I'm also using Rex's new vitamin C serum. That's been really good. And for my sunscreen, I've been alternating between Murat's Environmental Shield. That's like in like a little one ounce serum dropper, which is really expensive. And also Isentree, their water cream, UV gel. Ooh, yes. We love Isentree. What a lineup. Yeah, I agree. All Los Angeles faves in yeah. terms of brands. So very excited to hear that. We're on the right path. <laughs> and for <laughs> hair, I use... Pretty much anything at Sephora Ulta that's 20 to $30. Because <laughs> like most of the haircut I've been liking has been in that price point range. A little bit ex more expensive. Like I usually use um, K18's Peptide Prep. I just tried Redken yesterday. That's what my has in my hair now. The Redken, um, what is it called? The citric acid thing. Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know the formal name. I forgot the formal name, but they're flagship product pretty much. And I know that you you've made your own makeup printer or your own printed makeup and you've been experimenting with that. Do you wear makeup at all? Sporadically. I have on tinted moisturizer now from um, Smashbox. Cool. I would love to see your beauty collection. I know Kirby and ours are like really offensive as well, but you, I feel like <laughs> yours is probably really, really epic too. I try to keep it simple, but I have a lot of PR stuff. I got to start giving it away because I can't try all of it and enough time to like truly appreciate each product. Totally. Same. Champagne problems, right, Kerbs? Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Influencer problems. Javon, for those of us listening who don't know your background, how did you get into cosmetic chemistry? I got started in college. I knew I wanted to do chemistry. Of course, since like eighth grade, my, I grew up around chemistry. My mom was a science teacher. I just didn't know what I wanted to do with chemistry. I thought I wanted to be pre-med at one point, but I didn't want to do med school. And then most of the chemistry fields require a PhD and their PhD is very theoretical. 
I don't like theoretical stuff. It just bores me. It's just not my cup of tea. It's too abstract. And so I stumbled upon the American Chemical Society website, which has like a list of different career opportunities in chemistry, ranging from art restoration by using like special solvents to um, restore artwork without damaging the actual pigments underneath, to working with jewelers to create different blends that can help ascertain the purity of different metals to formulation chemistry that included everything from cosmetics to consumer goods and toiletries. And I was like, okay, that's really cool. So I applied to L'Oreal. I applied to Estee Lauder. They all require three years entry-level experience. Their internships exist, but I don't know how, I don't know anybody who actually interned in cosmetics. I feel like it's one of those internships where you have to know somebody in the company to get the job. They don't just like outsource like that. Because one point in time, the director of procurement not procurement, like um, talent acquisition at uh, L'Oreal DM'd me on LinkedIn. She was like, oh, I love your resume. You just don't have the three years entry-level experience we're looking for. I'm like, lady, how am I supposed to get that? <laughs> so the only job I got out of college was as a nuclear engineer. Apparently, I didn't need experience to do that, but I needed experience to make makeup. <laughs> Go figure. So in my free time while I was doing the nuclear engineering stuff, I created my own company, started with nail polish, and then makeup because I do theater on the side. So I started making makeup to wear on the stage that could resist like three hours of heavy lighting and also, you know, matched my skin tone because this was like before Fenty where every brand actually cared about being diverse and inclusive. So I made a customizable foundation. And after doing that for three years, I finally bit the bullet, moved to LA and got a job formerly in the industry. Wow. I didn't realize that was your background. I didn't realize your mom was a science teacher, which is so cool. What kind of science did she teach? Biology and physical science. Eighth grade. Wow. That's amazing. Do you have any siblings? I have a sister and I have um, a bunch of brothers that I didn't claim for the longest. <laughs> but, but yeah, I have, I have siblings. <laughs> I, I was asking if, um, if your mom was your teacher ever. No, I made that. I made sure that I yeah. wasn't in her class. I was supposed to be. And the first day of class, I had her transfer me to a different, the other physical science teacher because I did not want my mom as a teacher. Who does? <laughs> right. Totally fair. <laughs> okay. So uh, I've talked to you about this before, but can you describe the difference between a cosmetic chemist and a cosmetic formulator? I think Ooh. that these terms get thrown around synonymously a lot and they're different. So explain to the listener, what's the difference between a formulator and a chemist? Okay. So anybody can be a formulator. I mean, anybody can be a chemist too, but like you don't need an educational background in chemistry to formulate a product. So if you are like a kitchen chemist, quote unquote, you're technically a formulator. You can still make products. You can still, you know, create different combinations and formulas. But in order to be cosmetic chemist, you usually have to have some science background, usually like a degree in chemistry or biology. And there's also a master's program in cosmetic science that only four schools offer, but like you have to have like a STEM background to get the chemist term because just because you're formulating doesn't mean you know the science behind how the formulas work. Ah, uh, okay. So I wonder your thoughts on that. Like when you see a brand that has a formulator and they tout themselves as a cosmetic formulator, but they're not a cosmetic chemist, like do you have any specific thoughts one way or the other? No, not from the brand side, because at the end of the day, it's a lot of guesswork. Like you're trying out different combinations. Having the chemistry background gives you a leg up because you can determine like, oh, these ingredients just aren't compatible just from like chemistry. But it's still a lot of like, you know, mixing and matching and trial and error until you get the formula right. Because at the end of the day, they're still doing stability testing. They're still doing all the standard testing to make sure the product is safe, stable and effective. So I don't think it matters on the formulation side. On the TikTok side, there are some formulators that have been saying some stuff that isn't accurate in science at all. But people, again, treat the term synonymously and that that is where the issue can arise. Ah. Okay, I think that's important because the skin fluencers now aren't just people that love skin. It's they are experts, right? And so I know that cosmetic chemists, for instance, sometimes ha take issue with dermatologists commenting on formulations because they're not necessarily well-versed in certain ingredients and things of that nature. Do you feel like you're debunking mostly people that have no expertise or are you also equally debunking people that are experts in a certain field, just not in cosmetic chemistry? I would say the people who have like no expertise and should not be talking on the subject matter beyond like in a, like a subjective point of view, like I like this product or this product is irritating because I don't know, I, I guess because on my feed, I don't really get too many derms or on my For You page, <laughs> except for the ones I follow. 
and they yeah. they did their research, then their due diligence, and they know how to read research papers, and you know they taught themselves how to interpret ingredient labels. Of course, like you said, it's not part of their schooling by default. They don't really mu- learn much about skincare at all in their schooling, honestly, from what Derms have told me in med school, because it's mainly about treating the disease side of it, not really like skincare, because skincare isn't a drug. You don't prescribe skincare, you prescribe pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so totally. they have to go off their way to learn about like the actual skincare side. And many of them do. But yeah, most of the people I debunk are mainly people who have no business talking about the subject matter and the way they approach it. Again, everybody has can have their opinion on something, but when they present it as like cold hard fact and without backing that up with any type of expertise or research, that's when we're like, mm, what you doing? <laughs> Sarah, don't you feel like it also can get confusing when it comes to certain research papers? Javon, you mentioned being able to read these papers and understand what the experiment was or what the study was. A lot of times I think people are using some of this research to their advantage, not fully comprehending what they are reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the downsides about telling people to do their own research, which I stay away from that phrase because at the end of the day, a lot of people don't know how to do their own research. Research papers are not meant for laymen to understand. They're meant for the scientific peers to replicate. And, you know, that's the goal of research. It should be replicatable in order to like, you know, make sure the results are consistent and precise. And that's when you start coming across conclusions. It's rare that you just take one research paper and then just say like, okay, this is fact, this is gospel, because how did they design that experiment? Is it, you know, can you replicate that and get the same similar results? What are the personal biases of the researcher? Because we all have a bias, whether it's like funded by a company, whether it's your personal bias, because we all have like a hypothesis that, and there's still that confirmation bias risk. That's why, you know, we have like double blind placebo controlled studies. And a lot of the studies that they reference are not double blind placebo controlled, which introduces more of that bias because how do you know that they interpreted the results without coming in unintentionally with their own personal bias saying like, oh, I think this is going to be the outcome. Right. I feel like too, I often see people just picking out one part of like a study, which is not even like what should be highlighted. And then they take that and then create like a TikTok or an Instagram story and then it goes viral. And then we need someone like you, Javon, to be like, no. That is not the point. That was not the point of that study. I love it when they reference studies from the 80s. And not saying like old studies aren't, you know, still useful, but like, oh, look at the study. And like, again, there's only been one study on the thing. And that raises a red flag. If there's only one study and it's been published since the 80s, why was it not replicated since then? That's been plenty of time. So I'm like, Mm. "Mm." again, you got to start using like, again, some critical thinking with the studies. Like, okay, if it's recent, of Kim, maybe they didn't have time to do a like a follow-up study and that happens, or maybe they ran out of funding. But if it's from the 80s and nobody did a follow-up on that, why? Why not? Right. Also, like, don't you learn that in school? Like when we were in college, like writing papers and you're like looking at, you know, <laughs> research that you like look to see when it was done, right? <laughs> Just like you want the, the most, most recent. recent. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <gasps> but for yeah. citations. But again, again, if they don't have a STEM background or even a college background, maybe they didn't know or learn how to research in general. Yeah, that's right. not taught in. Um, I mean, my secondary school, like uh, high school, they taught us a little bit about how to research, but a basic Google and Wikipedia search to like make sure the source is legitimate, but not to the extent of, hey, look for the most recent <laughs> dates and you know start asking questions about like how, what is the bias of this? What is their background? Do they benefit from these results? Was it like placebo? You know, all that. Right. right. And now even with Google, if some layman is searching on their own, they're using maybe their own bias to search. Mm-hmm. And then you can find literally anything on Google if you search it a specific way, you know. So then that's just it brings up the confirmation bias of it all. I'm so glad you brought up the research element because I think that maybe they should really start focusing on that in, in like high school. <laughs> like, okay. Oh my God. <laughs> and totally. media literacy while we're at it. <laughs> I, I saw one article. I don't know what the subject matter was. It was something related to cancer, but they were like, oh, does, um, do seed oils cause cancer or something? I think was the topic. And they Googled it. And the first result actually said, no, it didn't cause cancer. And it's from like some Australian cancer org. And they're like, oh, well, well, it's probably not accurate anyways, because the American Cancer Org is funded by the Rothschilds. And I'm like, but for one, the source is from Australia. And even if you read the article that they referenced, the source came from like the World 
Cancer Foundation, unrelated to either other organization, but, you know, their own inherent bias is that, oh, I want to believe that this is a lie, even though, yes. again, Google told them it wasn't. And the again, even if it is Rothschild funded, that doesn't mean it's like still not true. But they're just introducing their own bias to confirm their own belief that, oh, well, because it's tangentially related to this cancer organization that's run by the Rothschild, then it must be a lie. So we can just throw out that research. 100 percent. Jeez, Louise, we could like spend a whole hour talking about this, <laughs> but we want to talk about let's talk about some ingredients that you think are incredible but maybe you don't see in a lot of formulas and you think should be used more. What is it and why don't you think it's more popular? My favorite ingredient is glycerin and it's finally becoming more popular. I mean, it's always been in formulas, but it was never in like promoted or like advertised as part of like their um their marketing deck, I should say. But now everybody's like, oh, this has glycerin. You have like brands like with their experimental serum that's really popular and trending on TikTok that's like 30% glycerin. I mean, even have Kiehl's has like a 30% glycerin serum or 15%. So it's becoming more popular. I love that. An ingredient that isn't like this more of an unsung hero. Hmm. Urea. Urea is becoming popular. And I know it wasn't used for the longest because of its associations with urine. Like <laughs> legit, the first time I heard about urea, there was this, this comedy sketch. It was meant to like raise awareness, like a PSA for like tobacco use called the late, late show, the too late show, I think was the name of it. And it, the host was the Grim Reaper. And in one segment, he would go around and interview people and tell them like, do you know about this ingredient? Like urea. And they were like, no, well, urea is found in pee and it's also a component of cigarettes. And that was my first introduction to urea. And I feel like that's why it's not like marketed because people associate that with tobacco. They associate that with urine, even though our skin's natural moisture factor has urea in it. And it's a great wow. carolytic that can help, you know, encourage cell turnover while also like moisturizing the skin because it's a humectant and an exfoliant. Oh my gosh. I literally thought you were going to say that. I thought you would say urea or, I mean, I don't know if you would personally feel this way, but I feel like mandelic acid. It's really trying to break through and I'm mm -hmm. seeing it a lot more, but I don't think the common person goes to look for mandelic acid when it comes to things like acne or things like that. Not yet. Yeah. Are there any products that have urea in it that you recommend or like? Well, biasly, I'm going to say the new prequel uh, urea cream because I'm on their advisory board. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say, I was like, disclosure, Javon, disclosure. <laughs> so honest. <laughs> but honestly, they're the first, like, I guess, major brand on the market I can think of that has a urea product that they're advertising it on. I know Stradia was thinking about doing urea product. I don't know if it's launched yet, but yeah, they're the only ones I can really think of because beyond the foot creams, foot creams have a lot of um, 10% urea products, but like for the face, no, you, I can't think of any product that's just out there with urea at a at like efficacious levels of like one to 10%. I know that like Inky List had a 10% one. I don't know if that is like, if 10% is like considered high or low. 10% is good. It's, okay. Yeah, it's good. Cool. I just don't like Inky List as a brand. <laughs> wow, tea. He's giving tea. I love Inky List. So now I need to know. Now I need to know. Nothing shady. I just... <laughs> I guess because like they sent me their um, hair products and they were all just mid. And I, I know it's like at a low price point, like it's like the ordinary price point, but I feel like I got better results with the ordinary versus I did with the inky list. Got it. And I like the ordinary's packaging more. It's class. It's a personal preference. Yeah. Personal pref. Okay. So you mentioned glycerin, which I'm so glad you did because I feel like glycerin should have had the moment that hyaluronic acid had. Do you yeah. feel that way or do you think they're too different for them to have had that kind of come up? Hyaluronic acid is so overrated. The idea like, oh, it can absorb up to a thousand times its weight in water. It doesn't mean it needs to. And it can be super finicky. It can be irritating. I mean, glycerin can be irritating too, but not to the extent of hyaluronic acid where it can be sensitizing. Again, hyaluronic acid is so hit or miss and the products can be really expensive. But if it's formulated properly, glycerin can be just as hydrating as hyaluronic acid. You mentioned that hyaluronic acid is overrated. Mm -hmm. Is there an ingredient besides hyaluronic acid that you wish brands would just lay off? Like it's time to move on. It's in everything. It's it's causing more harm than good. Or really, you're just like, I don't get the hype around this ingredient. Not cinnamite. And I get the hype. It's a great ingredient. It's a vitamin, um, vitamin B. It's a humectant. But every brand is adding that to their product and it doesn't 
need it. Like niacinamide can be used as like a, um, I guess, tyrosinase inhibitor to encourage like brighter skin and remove dark spots and post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, but so can a lot of other ingredients like vitamin C. And But most of those work better in combination than by themselves because they're all hit or miss to an extent. But niacinamide is in everything and niacinamide can have trace amounts of niacin, which can cause flushing and making your skin turn really red. And I'm starting to notice that, like even with brands who are reformulating their products to be cleaner and they're starting adding niacinamide, people have gotten irritated with the reformulation because of that. It's so picky. It's a great ingredient, but I don't think it needs to be in every product, like as its own serum, sure. But like incorporated in a moisturizer and a sunscreen, just why? I feel like actives work best as their own standalone serum instead of trying to do five in ones. And eight in ones and ten in ones and oh my gosh! Like I like the cocktail blends of actives. That's fine, but when you're like a moisturizer shop, should be moisturizing point blank, and then you can add a serum underneath to reinforce like any additional benefits. But I don't like when the moisturizers just start incorporating every little ingredient, like niacinamide, totally. because again, if you are irritated to that, then that's like a good chunk of the market you can't use anymore. Totally agree. I feel like niacinamide has had a really good publicist over the last couple of years. <laughs> it's literally in everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Speaking of eye rolls, <laughs> not just ingredients, but let's talk products. In the cosmetic chemist community, are there certain products or brands that you and your friends are like, ugh? So now there are so many subcategories of products now where you have um, you have moisturizers, you have ampules, you have essences, which is course like the korean method that western audiences adopted for a good five years and now they're like okay that's too many steps because i think the trend now is more simplified routines now of course those products do stuff but i don't think they're necessarily you know necessary and i think the same thing for oil cleansing i think oil cleansing is great for removing makeup i don't think you need it to remove sunscreen it's like a cleanser a regular cleanser is designed to remove sunscreen actives by itself now if you like oil cleansing go ahead and do it in cleansing balms too but when people started recommending that's like a required step every day, no, because people already aren't washing their face enough. And then I feel like the more steps you give people, the less likely they are to practice even basic skincare because they feel overwhelmed. So what is your like basic routine? And if someone came up to you and was like, Javon, what do I need to use every day? What do you suggest? Cleanser, toners are optional, but I do like a hydrating toner. So cleanser for me and then toner and then I use a hydrating serum. I might use a vitamin C serum and then maybe retinol at night if I remember to use retinol. I'm not consistent with retinoids. And then sunscreen. Done. So when you say oil cleanse, you mean like, don't worry about double cleansing if you're not wearing makeup every day. Yeah. Great. Love to hear it. Love to hear that. <laughs> that makes it so much more simple. Ooh, okay. This is relevant. You were featured in Allure's story about clean beauty. And for those of you that may not be familiar, Kara McGrath wrote this story about how clean beauty has kind of blown things up in terms of cosmetic chemistry. It's caused way more harm than good. And she interviewed a ton of cosmetic chemists, including Javon. And part of this story talks about fear mongering. You said that you are tagged in dozens of fear mongering videos a week. Right now, what do you see that people are most scared of? And how do you help to assuage those fears? If you don't say the one that I'm thinking, I'm going to make you also answer that, (laughs) the one I'm thinking. (laughs) There are so many things that people have been tagging me in that you would never even think was like an issue, like salt in shampoo last month. And I'm like, we're attacking minerals now of all the things. Like I thought salt was even a clean ingredient. So that's one. Salt and shampoo electrolytes and water, like we mentioned earlier. Of course, sunscreen might be the biggest one because it's always, the, I call them the, the anti-sunscreen bros. It's same folks. Bobby, what is his name? Bobby um, Flaff City. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Him, Santa Cruz guy. Does he go into like grocery stores and stuff or like Targets and they're like, don't use this as Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Okay. Him and like another guy, Santa Cruz, I think is him. And I was tagged in a video yesterday about like a 19 year old who was emulating Santa Cruz in his video saying like, don't use this body wash. It's going to lower your testosterone count. Is that really what he says? Santa Cruz says a lot of stuff, but I know for like sunscreen, he, his stance is like, you don't need it unless you're like, until you're burning, like you don't need it to, you don't need to wear it every day. 
What's his background? Yeah. We all want to know. <laughs> we all want to know. I know Bobby's a businessman. He doesn't even, he's not even a chef. And I'll gladly drag him because he talks about food mainly. <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> wow. he made a video about like advertising his vitamin C supplement that uses some extract. And he was like, yeah, don't use ascorbic acid. It's not the best form of vitamin C. You should use this that has five times the amount of vitamin C in fruit. But that amount of vitamin C is still ascorbic acid. And he knows this. It's still the same type. But like, yeah, he's, he's peddling snake oil and he even has an app. I think we know, but what are your thoughts on supplements in beauty specifically? I feel like people are preoccupied with taking supplements and not with diet. Because I see a lot of holistic readers. They're the main ones I'm stitching. But the irony is they're not really promoting a holistic, like a true holistic approach. Holistic is about like full body, you know, eating right, sleeping right. But they're mainly talking about like using natural alternatives to skincare. And that's not holistic because you're still applying it to your body. If you want to be truly holistic, then it starts with your diet. And mm-hmm. if you're eating like a well-balanced diet, you don't need to take supplements unless you're deficient. Like you're, if you're anemic, of course, you need to take iron. If you have like a diagnosed deficiency, of course, you need to supplement that diet. Or if you have like a restrictive lifestyle or diet like vegan, you have to take certain supplements like vitamin B12, I think. But if you're, if you don't have a restricted diet or like religious restrictions or any like dietary restrictions like that, and you are not diagnosed with a deficiency, you don't need supplements because like vitamin C, you don't need that. If you just eat an an apple, you get your daily dose of vitamin C and that extra vitamin C doesn't get used. It gets flushed out in the body, especially for skin. Even if your body is lacking a supplement, it'll take it to your skin last because your skin doesn't need it necessarily. Like collagen and even like for the hair, like your skin and hair get the nutrients last. It's going to like essential things to maintain your body, like your muscles, your joints, it'll go there first. And then if there's any bit left over, it might go to your skin because your skin doesn't need that to maintain its defense against microbes and like pollutants. It's more aesthetic. See, this is why we love Javon. You did touch on what I was going to bring up, which is sunscreen. And I am still truly amazed at how people literally within the beauty industry are terrified of sunscreen. I had a message today from somebody extremely high up at a very, very popular tool brand ask me what my favorite moisturizer plus SPF is. I'm scared that every sunscreen is is going to kill me. And I'm like, babes, sunscreen is not going to kill you. Like my mouth was agape. I had somebody also very high up at a agency that works with a ton of beauty brands tell me that when she looks for sunscreen, the only thing she really looks for is reef safe. I'm like, that's marketing. People do not understand sunscreen at all. And it's like not just someone who maybe is listening to this podcast that likes beauty and is not in the industry. It's like people in the industry don't even know about sunscreen. What do you kind of preach and advocate to people when it comes to sunscreen? It's basically like use what you can afford and what actually what you actually like, because I know a lot of people who do like sunscreen or only use mineral sunscreen. And I, I don't like that. It's like it's low key colorist. They're not trying to be, but like Mineral sunscreen is going to look so ashy on any type of brown skin tone. I don't care how nice the mineral sunscreen is. The only one I've used that does not look ashy is the Murat one I mentioned, and that's $72 for one ounce. It's expensive. It's really expensive and hard to get a mineral sunscreen that offers like the true SPF value on the label and it's still sheer. That's just the nature of the things. That's the benefit of chemical sunscreens. But chemical sunscreen has like so much vitriol unnecessarily. Like the reef safe part, no sunscreen is reef safe. If you ask me, if you really want to go swimming near the reefs or in the water, don't use sunscreen at all. Just make sure to reapply it when you come out the water. Truly, because none of them are, like, they're all polluting the um, ocean waves, just point blank. <laughs> like you said, marketing term. And as far as sunscreens being dangerous, there has not been a study showing that. And as far as, like, the benzene contamination, which can happen with literally anything, <laughs> like, you're exposed to way more benzene by pumping gas at your car than you ever would be with, like, the trace amounts in skincare. But the thing I tell people about contaminants is like they're contaminants and there is no getting around that. Like I know people like to have this idea that they can truly prevent any type of disease, but we can't. Like I guess it gives people like a false sense of security, but like contaminants happen even naturally. Like bananas naturally have radioactive um, potassium isotopes. Apples naturally have arsenic levels and almonds naturally have trace amounts of cyanide. It's just part of nature. We can do our best to like limit the contamination, like have controlled limits. 
but they will still be there to a certain extent. And we should not be afraid of those trace amounts. Like when people talk about the benzene, they're like, oh, it has one PPM. People don't know how small a PPM is. It's parts per million. It's like so small. You can't even see that with the naked eye. Oh, God. I like think about this so much, especially now as a mom. And then like with Cade, who's like almost six months, I'm like, what am I giving to you that is going to like affect you uh, as you grow up and like become an adult? But also I can just see how all the fear mongering, why it's so impactful on people in general is just because especially with people who are moms, like you watch one TikTok video and you're like, oh, my God, I'm like going to kill my baby. Right. Regarding that, and also going to the reef safe, the reason reef safe doesn't exist is because nobody is going down and actually testing the sunscreen on the reefs. Right. Why would we do that? Same thing applies to things that are pregnancy safe. And, you know, for small children and toddlers, we're not testing on babies and fetuses. Right. So most of the things that are pregnancy safe, we just know because it's been around 400 years and we haven't seen any issues with pregnant women using it or, you know, small kids using it. But like the newer products that claim to be pregnancy safe using newer ingredients. How do we know that for sure? We don't. Like yeah, same thing with retinol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you can't ethically test on totally. a pregnant woman mm-hmm. or a small child and be willing to subject those people to some kind of issue. You brought up retinol, and that's what I was thinking about because for retinol, isn't the whole premise behind pregnant women that are nursing and not using retinol is based off of Accutane, based on what Accutane does to the fetus? Isn't that kind of the basis of it? I think so. And like, there's no definitive test about like skincare retinol. It's just like airing on the side of caution, meaning like we don't know. So we're going to say, no, it may not pose an issue, but we, of course, nobody's doing that research. They're not ever going to do that research because again, you'd have to use pregnant women. And who's going to be willing to <laughs> sign up, sign up for that study? Absolutely not. The ethics get called into question. So like, that's one reason I will always like, it'd be a ride or die for like petroleum jelly. It's been around for literally a hundred years. And we have not had any anecdotal issues because it, nobody's going to do that research to see. And of course, yeah, by that point, we know nobody's had like any adverse effects from using that 400 years. Right. Topically. Anyways. Can we talk about sunscreen just one more minute? Mm-hmm. What are your favorite affordable sunscreens? I don't like any of the affordable ones. <laughs> He's bougie. I know you're He's bougie, bougie. But let your followers, let's say, I mean, I know a lot of people, too, who like want to wear sunscreen want to get like the really bougie korean or european ones but they're like i'm going to target what am i going to get what should i get Hmm. okay so the sunscreens i've used at the drugstore that i actually think are decent at the very least uh trader joe's has a super goop alternative for like eight dollars best drugstore sunscreen i've come across so far it doesn't leave a film it's kind of like a little greasy texture it's not as nice of course it's super goop but that's like a 34 dollar price difference versus eight dollars it's more accessible it gets the job done it does not leave a cast at all because it's a chemical sunscreen it layers under makeup a little bit preferably under silicone based foundation that's the other thing with layering sunscreen like super goop i know a lot of people say it doesn't layer under their makeup but their makeup needs to be silicone based because super goop is pretty much just 100 silicones neutrogena hydro boost is all right it's like um, water-based. It's fine. I don't think it layers on the makeup too well because like if you rub your skin, it starts to peel. Like it beads up a little bit. But if you just wear like a bare face or like a light tinted moisturizer on top, that's fine. Who else? I tried Good Molecules. I think had a mineral SPF, but it was ashy on me. So I just don't recommend that. Black Girl Sunscreen is fine too for $10. It's greasy. So not the best for the summer if you have super oily skin, but you can always put some setting powder on over top. Okay, I will put Javon's picks on our shop my, but then also Sarah and I will give some of our favorite affordable sunscreens because honestly, it has been really hard for me to get really into American sunscreens. I really do just go for like the Korean sunscreens or right now I am literally obsessed with ultraviolet. When we were in Singapore, I bought so much ultraviolet, Javon. It was insane. Like I'm like, I am set for the next two years. It's going to be fabulous. But I love I love it right out the gate. You're like, sorry. For me, I got to go with the bougie sunscreens. <laughs> That's why I really talk about sunscreen. Like, and when I did, I was like, okay. People were asking, I was like, I want to ch- let you know my picks are bougie. And they're like, That's fine. Let us know. 
And I came right off the bat like, oh, here's this mirror at sunscreen for $75. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You made a great video about brands changing formulations when they get acquired and you broke down for people, especially on TikTok, that may not understand like the conglomerates and who owns who and all of those things. Are you able to talk about why brands may change their formulations and why it could be for the better? Because I thought you made some really great points with this video. Yes, that can be specific because I got their permission to mention I worked on some formulas, but like used to the people, I worked on a few of their formulas and I worked on their formula while they were transitioning from being, you know, independent to being under L'Oreal. And it's like three months before I left my job to do TikTok and consulting full time, but like L'Oreal came and did a, a mass audit and they are going to dot all their I's and cross all their T's. I know people hate big companies and they have reasons too, but like one thing not to hate about them is that their safety thing, because big companies have a lot more liability risk lawsuits because they're bigger. Um, they don't want that risk. So they're going to make sure like smaller brands can get away with certain things. Like I've seen smaller brands like wave stability testing. Sometimes it happens just so they can go to the market faster and have like a six month turnaround time. Bigger brands don't do that. They have like a two year gestation period before it gets launched because they want to make sure everything is tight before it hits the shelf. Cause they don't want a lawsuit. They want to make sure the product is safe. They don't care about you. They care about their money. <laughs> Nobody, none of the big companies can afford, they can afford it. They don't want a lawsuit. Like shoot, just this year alone, I've been contacted by two litigation companies who wanted me to be an expert witness on some lawsuits against some major hair care brands. It's wild. So when they get acquired, they're making sure every little detail there, like there, there are no leaks and that it's not really much about like the cost thing because they understand the margins are the margins. They might try to wiggle the margins a little bit, but it's mainly about making sure it's compliant with the bigger companies' policies and regulations. Or if they're trying to expand the market, if they're only sold in America versus being sold worldwide, some ingredients might have to change because it may not be European compliant. It may not be compliant in like Japan or China. I was working on a product um, and it was approved in every country, but not Korea for whatever reason. Like the one ingredient was not approved in Korea. So we had to remove that ingredient. It happens. Other reasons include supply chain issues where a raw material is discontinued. This happens a lot more than people think. Like they're using a specific raw that only one manufacturer offers. So when that manufacturer either gets acquired by a different manufacturer or that ingredient is discontinued entirely, then you got to reformulate. Yeah. There's so much more nuance to it than people, because people love to be outraged when a brand they love, an independent brand gets acquired because then they're like, it's going to change everything I loved about this product. And it's like, well, maybe those things perhaps did need to change in order to be the most effective or most safe or, or, you know, when you get acquired, your hope is that you're going to get more eyeballs and more access for your brand. So it has to be able to match the qualifications for all of these different countries then. I, I love that. And I do have some advice for people who, I guess, who, who don't like when a brand reformulates. It's like, yeah. if you if you truly want to support like an independent brand that, that you don't think would ever get acquired, then don't shop at a major retailer because brands at retailers, they're there for a reason. And that usually has an eye to being either acquired or going public, which is very risky. Very few brands go public. Like the most recent one I can think of is Olaplex. They went public early last year. Mm. But most brands, their exit strategy is to be acquired because that's truly when the brand founders and shareholders make money. They don't make money by sales. They make money by selling the company that people don't understand, like the inner workings of business. And so, you know, after 10 years, a lot of these brands are eyeing a way out because also they don't want to own a brand the entire time. And I know sometimes, like a lot of times, like with L'Oreal brands in particular, they keep the founders on because I know like the founder of Youth of People is still on the board with L'Oreal and also the founder of It Cosmetics was on the board for like a few years before just to help the transition period to make sure everything is smooth. And that's what people don't realize. Like a lot of brands, they do stay on board to make sure it's like a smooth transition and not just like, okay, hey, I'm done with this. Bye. Right. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's their baby. They built it. They don't want to see it crash and burn just because they got like a giant check from like L'Oreal or Cody. Yeah, I know that Jamie Kern Lima, the founder of It Cosmetics, I think she stayed on for an ex one exact year to make that transition happen. Mm -hmm. And she was still the founder in the face. And then she dipped out and she has an estate next to Oprah and like Montecito nice. or something. So good for her. Live your best we life. Live your life, girl. <laughs> live it. I'm like dying to know more about these hair care lawsuits, but I'm sure you can't talk about it. Oh, I mean, I didn't sign an NDA. What you want to know? <laughs> I chose not to do it. <laughs> can you tell us what they were for? One of them was Tresemme. I didn't read the specifics because 
conflict of interest because I want like I I like working with L'Oreal and if I were to testify against the major companies, they're not gonna want to work with me. <laughs> right, right. It's a conflict of interest because you are also an influencer and you work with these brands too. It honestly wouldn't have been like behooved them to utilize you because they no. would have been like, well, there's some type of bias here anyways. And I did read through what they were asking for too, because like if they have like a legitimate point, I don't mind helping them out, but they didn't have a legitimate point. So like, I'm trying to remember one of them was like, oh, can you ascertain if these ingredients are in this product? Or it was one thing that was like super pseudoscience that had like no, it was not scientifically sound or like any research backed claim, but it's a lawsuit. And a lot of lawsuits are like that. Now, a lot of lawsuits, you know, that are actually founded, like legitimate lawsuits are about them lying on the label, like false advertisement. And that does happen. But the lawsuits that they presented me were looking for specific things that don't really exist just to say, aha, we got you. Was the Tresemme thing, was that the DMDM Hydantoin drama? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like that one, I think it's baseless because they were like, oh, you have this ingredient that has potential to cause hair loss, but the people who were suing didn't necessarily experience hair loss. Right. Exactly. Same thing with Olaplex's thing where they did experience hair loss, but they were blaming an ingredient that was like banned in the EU now, the um, Lilial, which had no links to hair loss. It had links to like reproductive issues in animals, but they made that conclusion like, oh, this is why I'm losing my hair and you knew this, so I'm suing you for it. And they wanted an expert like me, not for the Olaplex, but like the trust me, want to be like, can you verify that this ingredient causes hair loss? How? <laughs> right. And Sarah and I talk about that all the time, that hair loss is such a hard thing to prove because there are so many factors. And if there was a way to magically fix hair loss, like the, the hair care industry would sorely suffer from that. You know what I mean? Like, it yes. would, what would we be doing? So they basically are cherry picking. They want you to say this ingredient causes hair loss and you, you have to give a definitive answer how. And then they want to use that to be like, see, it's in the product. So it's going to cause hair loss. And it's like, Similar to what you said before, there's trace amounts of formaldehyde in pears, but like we don't die when we eat a pear. You know what I mean? Like we're not like suffering by eating a pear. And it goes back to the idea that people like to have control and you don't really control what causes hair loss. A lot of it is just genetic. And I mean, some of it is lifestyle. I think most of the cosmetic issues are lifestyle if it's not like predisposed genetically. But people don't like to talk about that. Again, they like to blame their skincare and not what they're putting in their body. Totally. <laughs> or their sleeping habits. Like, People always ask me about eye creams. I never give a recommendation because I don't think they work. Any of them work. And brands have come to me like, oh, can you talk about this eye cream? And I'm like, uh, that's just like one of the products. Oh, yeah. Going back to your early question, that's one product that just can't support. Even when people offer me money to talk about eye creams, I just can't because I don't think they do what they claim to do. They might have ingredients that have like some research backing it up, but like under eye bags and darkness has too many factors like genetics and vitamin K. And like if you're prone to bruising and your sleep habits. First thing I always ask people with under eye issues, like, are you getting enough sleep? They're like, no. And I'm like, the eye cream's not going to fix this, this problem for you. Right. Right. And to that point, look, I have Naturium right here. They just launched their Vitamin Bright Illuminating Under Eye Cream. And in the box that I got it sent with, Susan wrote a note and was like, I got asked about this all the time before on mixed makeup. And I would always tell people like, sure, like an eye cream could potentially help superficially brighten almost like a concealer if it has like a certain tone to it, but it's not going to remove those dark circles no. like at all. Like they're still going to exist that you're just able to kind of mitigate the appearance of them by using a, a brightening or like light reflecting eye cream underneath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause even her says like a cosmetic, well, cosmetic, like a makeup ingredient to like diffuse the light around the eye so it blurs the the lines and the darkness a little bit yep. like a conventional eye cream and actually a lot of eye creams now started incorporating that or like color correctors in their eye cream but like a straightforward eye cream like i tried the one from hmm, it's a really expensive brand sk2 sk2 is an eye cream it feels really nice it's not doing much, but it feels really nice. Oh my God. For like $500, it feels really nice. <laughs> yeah. Jeez Louise. I mean, I would, if, if Sarah, if there was an eye cream that like truly did all of those things, I would pay any price for it. I don't care what it would be. I would want it if it was actually going to deliver. But that's why, do I use an eye cream every day and night? Yeah. But I like it because it like smooths my, not actually smooths my skin, but like makes my skin appear smooth. 
Mm-hmm. That way it looks better when I put on makeup. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, that's like why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like a prep thing for sure. Like I just use um, Vaseline, which I know a lot of people can't use because they it's linked to milia, which of all my acne concerns, I that's apparently I'm immune to milia from <laughs> Vaseline. I've been doing it for years. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like or unscented moisturizer, because I know another thing is that eye creams are the eye area, the eye folds are more sensitive than the face and a lot of facial moisturizers have fragrance and fragrance is not necessarily great for the under eye. And that's like another justification brands have for eye cream. But if you look at the markup for eye cream, like I feel like with moisturizing ingredients, the smaller it is, the more expensive it gets. Like body lotion is like $7. Spatial moisturizer, a good one. It's usually between $20 to $40, sometimes $50. And then eye creams easily range from like $50 to $100. Yeah, that's insane. And it gets smaller and smaller. It really is a scam. The margins are crazy. (laughs) Unless they use cholesterol. Cholesterol? Cholesterol is really expensive. <laughs> so you love cholesterol. I love how bougie Javon is. Yeah. He's like, cholesterol is really expensive as he's like dusting his shoulder off. <laughs> he's like, by the way, I bathe in cholesterol. Did I tell y'all? <laughs> I'm just like, like, I mean, in terms of like if it's worth the money, like if it has cholesterol, maybe try the eye cream. But if it's just like a regular, regular eye cream with vitamin C, no. <laughs> regular, regular. Okay, we've got a couple more questions for you before you you hop, but we touched on this a little bit with the retinol conversation, but can you talk a little bit more about the myth that skincare can be absorbed into your bloodstream? So some skincare can be absorbed, but not to the extent of what people think. Like there's this, what we call the 500 Dalton rule. So if a molecule is less than 500 Daltons, like the molecular weight, then it's likely to be absorbed into the skin to an extent. So that includes water, that includes most actives. You want your actives to be absorbed to actually work. It also works in the reverse where you have like some peptides that are bigger than that. And you're like, are you doing anything? Mm. <laughs> now brands have started like realizing that consumers are catching on to that. So they actually are adding peptides that can be absorbed. But a lot of those peptides early on, like five years ago, no. But like, let's take paraben. Parabens are absorbed into the skin and they go into the bloodstream, but it gets filtered out. Like CDC has like a little report on it, how like parabens do not bioaccumulate in the body. It can get flushed out. Because like you said, it's naturally present in fruit. Like our body has a means to get rid of parabens. Same thing for formaldehyde that does get absorbed, but our body can remove it because we produce like 40 grams of formaldehyde a day naturally as part of like just breathing. And that gets flushed out as well. Certain things that might have an issue by accumulating like BHT, which is in like, it's not in Western products anymore, but it's in a lot of Asian beauty as like a antioxidant. There's also like limits to that. You can't use above 0.7% BHT to account for its potential to bioaccumulate. I don't know if phthalates accumulate or not. Like the ones that do absorb that we use usually get filtered out. And the ones that don't like silicones just sit on the surface because they're too big. Aluminum, like I know people say deodorant gets absorbed. Aluminum is not easily absorbed by the body. For one, it's dry. Like deodorants are not wet and like there's, it's not in a vehicle to be absorbed. It's pretty much like a stick. It is a stick. Minute amounts of deodorant are absorbed, like very trace amounts of like the aluminum. And people treat aluminum like this catch-all. It's an aluminum salt. It's not pure aluminum. Elemental aluminum is dangerous for your skin to be absorbed. But aluminum salts aren't like regular salts. You don't want pure sodium on your skin, but salt, sodium chloride is okay. Like people have to use that nuance. Like it's not the pure substance. It's a compound of that pure substance of that pure element and has its own properties and its own absorption potential and rate. Okay. Javon, we've reached the end of our combo. We could have had you on for three more hours. You'll have to come back like once a quarter to do like the Javon report, which would be amazing. But we would love for you to shout out brands that you think are doing it really right right now when it comes to not only the formulations, but messaging. So, oh, Reiterate, I love Stradia. Love their branding because it's very science-focused. Experimental, it was experiment. She's going to kill me because I got the name wrong. But they have like their glycerin serum. I also love Educated Men. It's got to shout out all my fellow chemist brands because we're fighting the same fight. In terms of like more like mass-produced brands, I love Naturium's message because they're making quality, accessible, efficacious products like accessible. Like it's drugstore price, pricing. All their products work. They're usually fragrance-free too, so very accessible. I also like, love Tatcha. 
even though their branding is so like puffery. It's I just love it. Again, if you want a luxury brand with great products and ingredients that actually have like science research behind it, Tatcha. You're at two. Dermalogica too. They're, they're all right. And who else? Those are the main ones. And youth of the people. I love their um, their cleansers. Sarah loves to hear Tatcha because we joke on this podcast that she's paid to talk about Tatcha because she talks about them all the time. And she just is such a huge fan. We've had Vicky on and she's amazing. I feel very I validated by that. Oh my God, you haven't met Vicky. She, she would, would love, love to meet you. you. I haven't oh met God. her yet. Oh she's my God. fabulous. We'll send this to Tatcha's PR and they'll fly you to her home in San Francisco, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Javon, you're the best. Thank you for coming on Los Angeles. Tell the people where they can find more of you. You can find me on Instagram or TikTok at Javon Ford 16. So my first name, last name, 16, BR Graduated College. All right, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back on Tuesday with the week's most buzzy beauty news. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify so you don't miss any breaking beauty news or product reviews. And if you want to support us, be sure to follow us at Gloss Angeles Pod on all platforms and join our Facebook group. Plus, find every product we recommend on our website, glossangelespod.com, as well as links to the stories and news we report each week. You can follow us, your hosts. I'm Sarah Tan, that's S-A-R-A-T-A-N, on all social platforms. And I'm Kirby Johnson, K-I-R-B-I-E, on all social platforms. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 